Hello everyone. Welcome to episode number 6 of our series in which we are studying end times Bible prophecy, based upon the series we have titled the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. In previous episodes that set the stage leading up to this point, we were introduced to God's plan. The central theme of that plan, we saw and now know, was and is the gaining for himself a recognition and a respect that the world at large, as well as the Jews, refuses to give. We also have seen that God's plan hinges upon the gathering and the resettling of his people in their land, thereafter, bringing them to a level of prominence and prosperity they have never known. In this and the following episodes, we will learn that, notwithstanding the blessings, the road to Armageddon will not be all peaches and cream, given that a coalition of hostile nations led by Gog, who is the leader over the land of Magog, have designs of their own with respect to the land and resources of the area newly resettled by the people of God. As usual, the text for this study is Volume 2 of the series called Judgment Day, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2 Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower, Subtitle, A Muslim's Nightmare, the writer of said series being Mr. Alvin Mitchell, and, I, Liam, will be your affable host. Our sincere desire is that not only will you receive a blessing from this lesson, but that God will as well bestow his hand of blessing upon this and all of the studies to come in this highly informative and instructive series. Ezekiel 38 verse 1-3 through 3. Gog and Magog Vendetta Dead Men Walking And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, turn your face toward Gog, the land of Magog, Rosh of Meshach and Tubal and tell him, This is what Adonai Elohim has to say, Lo! I am against you, and I will, put hooks in your jaws so as to bring you forth, after many days, in the last years, into the land brought back from the sword, upon the mountains of Israel. You will come up like a storm, and like a cloud you will cover the land, you will be sorely defeated upon the mountains of Israel, so that only one-sixth of you will be left, after which Israel will use and burn all your weaponry as fuel for seven years, chapters 38-1-4, and, 39-2-10. Sidebar. Their life having begun somewhere in the east, they arrived on Magog's steps literally ignorant, an informed culture astute, as acute, informed and aware their brutality being alas, stumped and their crafty dealings stopped, yet their calculating cunning never ending, they exist now, having roots most ancient, informed still astute as ever acute without question aware yes formally educated, today a writing culture, down on its luck yet prospering in its fight for survival its chief weapon. Utter secrecy it abides openly as in a darkened corner cold and damp, virtually off-limits to outside eyes in the shadows of death, where none would ever look, awaiting the day, when the moment of its resurrection will come, delivered, as on a platter of opportunity. It fell off the annals of time and that, not by chance buried itself in the graves of no man's memory. It stands daily upon the world's stage, its identity cloaked and thus obscured, its mystery orchestrated, in a history hidden meticulously maintained under a mantle of absolute dot hush. Who are these people? What place, what right, do they have for inclusion in God's plan regarding end-time things? What contribution might such a people make, as the end of all time and the apocalypse draw nigh? Are there such a people? And, while history could well end without them, why is it not likely to proceed, without them? Thus far, as we are still on the road to Armageddon, one of, if not the most significant of all the markers or pointers along the way has transpired, 
whether one thinks it is right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, the Jews, having declared themselves a nation, in 1948 are in fact, just that, a nation and that, like a fly in the face of all odds. God promised he would be back, the word of God reverberated for millennia that he would come back, and though no hint was ever given in terms of circumstances surrounding his return, or the particulars of how he would be led to come back, guess what, he's back. And, whereas solidification of that right to exist as such was only one, or actually was reinforced 19 years later after triumphantly enduring the Six-Day War in June of 1967 wherein their brazen enemy sought their ultimate extermination they are no less where they needed to be, about now, right where the Adonai, the Supreme, Exalted One, the Lord above all others, Elohim, God in multiple persons, wants them. As everyone knows, life is not all peaches and cream, nor are they exactly having themselves a field day, as danger literally lurks, nip and tuck, comfortable within the innocence of practically every new moment, at every turn. To protect against Palestinian extremist terrorists willing to blow themselves up trying to kill Jews, walls have had to be erected around the city of Jerusalem. Having begun to reap some benefit from the sea of salt, as promised, as shown, and having cracked the code to the doors of God's dark, secret storehouse, it appears still that, the best, is yet to come, an especially compelling thought, given Israel's prevailing need for energy, the majority of what it has been getting being expensive, and foreign. And, when that best does come, trouble certainly no stranger to a Jew will come dragging in, right along with it. Without doubt, in the minds of many, the irony here will be the source of that trouble. Having seen to it that his people are once more settled in the Holy Land, owned adversarially by the sword for nearly two thousand years first by the Romans, then by the Byzantines, the Muslims, the Ottoman Turks, and finally by the British, as foretold by his prophets of old, and they therefore having begun to enjoy measurable success and prosperity from the fruit of their labors, Jehovah will intentionally deliberately awaken and stir up a distant neighbor of the Jew, bringing him against his own people in an act of war, after many days, in the last years. The Romans came in 70 AD, but from the west, the Egyptians from the south, and the Assyrians and Babylonians from the east, in earlier centuries. The many recent skirmishes in that land have all involved local Arab groups, these include an ancient foe in the Syrians, to the north. But, what of this new, active threat to the sovereignty of the Jewish state? We know that it has yet an, with the Jews situated at home, is now ripe to occur. Who is this threat, and why will they be incensed, and incited so as to do, against the nation of Israel, what it appears they might have been prone to affect only reluctantly, otherwise? Moreover, why is God's attitude, his disposition toward them laced with such vitriol, and ill will? Why more so with regard to these people, who are scarcely mentioned in the Bible much less known as ones having had any meaningful, biblical, dealings or interactions with his people than for the Egyptians, Edomites, Syrians, etc., who are known, and whose cruelty to his people is well established. Finding out may be as simple as conducting an assessment of this curious query in the form of a brief commentary of these two chapters of Ezekiel. Setting the Stage for the Apocalypse Paul the Apostle Ex-Pharisee, reminiscent of Moses of the Old Testament, pinned these words in the New Testament, Vengeance, vindication, retribution, belongs to me, I will repay, that is what the Lord says, Romans 12 verse 19, see also Deuteronomy 32 verse 35.
As we continue on into this study, one will find that we are immediately confronted with the need to deal with one major problem, reduced to one word, why, in at least two prongs, why the Russians, on the one prong, and why the Jews on the remaining prong. What precisely did Gog of Magog do to get themselves into such hot water with God Almighty, and that, to such a degree that he will not offer them forgiveness, nor will he seek from them gestures of repentance? At the same time, students of Scripture having virtually watched him wait for millennia, over 2,500 years, to fulfill this promise, why, they wonder, or should, will he do so only to subject them to this type of danger a danger and a risk more horrible than any they will have ever faced, and they have faced many. Realizing, as Bible students know having walked with him, having waited on him to enlighten and to open their eyes God is not in the business of doing things just to be mean, or to make lives miserable simply for misery's sake, we know in addition, therefore, that there has to be a reason for that which is planned for both the Jews and for the Russians. Will he seek vengeance on the Russians for something their ancestors did that displeased him, in antiquity? There has to be a definitive reason, some definite goal that he has in mind for what is going to happen to two of the best-known names and people groups of our times. This study purposes to provide biblical resolution for these and similar questions relative to God's plans for the end times. The Warning Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Verse 2, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Verse 3, And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. This chapter or section commences with Yahweh's bid for the attention of his mouthpiece, Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal one son of man, Ezekiel, is called, set your face prophetically against one named Gog, who lives in a land of Magog. This passage is somewhat problematic, due in part perhaps to translation problems experienced by the original translators. Thus, perhaps, the best route to any potentially accurate interpretation may be a careful defining of terms. The word Gog simply means, mountain. It is used only ten times throughout the Old Testament, one in 1 Chronicles, seven times here in Ezekiel. It occurs one time in the book of the Revelation. It is not immediately clear, by its use in, too, whether the reference is to an individual, or, to a region. What is clear, is that, the symbolism here points to stature or status, as it relates to others around it or him. Therefore, whether it refers to a person, or a geographical location, this one is one who is the most prominent of all. It might best be interpreted as a title, more so than an actual name although, as will be shown, to further distinguish this one and to accentuate his prominence, this name does in fact carry a separate and distinct title. Land of, is a translation of the Hebrew word Eretz. It is used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament, and is translated variously, but quite often as land, region, or territory. Adding to the confusion or, more specifically, to the riddle is the apparent mistranslation or mishandling of the term Magog by the KJV workers. In the Old Testament, it is used only four times, one in Genesis 10, one in 1 Chronicles 1, and one in Ezekiel. It, like the term Gog, also appears in the book of the Revelation. We know from the table of nations found in Genesis 10 and in 1 Chronicles 1 that Magog was one of the descendants of Noah, 
following dissipation of the flood waters. Thus, it is the name of a person. However, the term itself literally means land of Gog hereby, implying the past existence of a descendant of Noah, whose name being Gog, no doubt, a predecessor to Magog, was applied to a smaller geographical area within the broader context of Eretz or the land of, in which case it was rendered the land of Gog or Magog which was in turn applied as a formal name to a prominent descendant of Noah. Magog is used to refer to the place or region where the descendants of Magog settled, between the mountains of Cappadocia and Media. Thus, insofar as the expression, chief prince, modifies Gog not Magog that appears to be the best sense of its usage here. Therefore, God's address ultimately is to a mountain, Gog, in the midst of a region led by or subordinate to the mountain, Magog, as in, a capital state, which is itself a subregion of a broader geographical area, Eretz, or, land of, or, nation. Chief Prince translates the Hebrew word Rosh, Hebrew, Rosh equals Rosh, meaning, head, top or first, Nasi, Hebrew, Nasi equals Nasi, meaning prince, chief or leader, could also be a king or sheik, that is, he is the one who presides, the king or president, if you will, i.e., he is the head of the lesser princes, chiefs or leaders, who lead two other main territories within this land of Magog, namely Meshech and Tubal, since these were all brothers and sons to Japheth, grandson to Noah, the implication seems to be that, they all settled in the same basic region, where Magog the land of the mountain was the more prominent among them. Thus, the area bore, and bears still, his name. Specifically, the term Rosh is descriptive of the word Gog, not Magog as shown throughout Ezekiel's prophecy. As is, much controversy and uncertainty swirls around the who of this people of the land of Magog, under the leadership of this one named Gog, known, as they are presented here, as such only in the mind of God, that is, this is God's own personal designation of both a person and his people, neither of whom existed, as such, at the time of the declaration. Nothing in the prophecy was ever meant to convey any such notion as that they existed, or that they would ever exist under these banners. Nonetheless, they were in fact a real people, albeit, to be, in the mind, heart, eyes and plan of God, for a fuller discussion of the people of Magog, consider Appendixes B, C, and D. This being the case, they are chiefly an end-times people. For this reason, then, where eschatological application is concerned, no doubt each carries a more figurative or metaphorical connotation than one literal. To anyone's knowledge, for the most part although the term has occurred a time or two in a few ancient writings history outside of the Word of God, the Bible, holds no record of any such people, strictly speaking. The book of Genesis records the names Magog, Meshech, Tubal and Gomer, in the verses to follow, as being those of the grandsons of Noah, sons from his own son Japheth. This is believed by some to suggest that perhaps the land in question was eventually settled by these descendants of Noah, and or by their descendants. That may well be, but first, we must establish the where of this land, of Magog, which should open doors leading to a positive ID of the people whom the Almighty has firmly within his own sights. God's word does provide at least one strong clue as to Magog's location. Where is Magog? While the Bible does not do much to clarify the identity of Magog directly, its relative location is not left to chance, where the biblical record is concerned, 
its name 2,500 years ago was, on the one hand, not that significant, given that many then would not be known by their present-day names, for centuries to come. With respect or in relation to the locale of the nation of the people of the living God, the area which is home to Meshech, Tubal, and to Garma is said to have its place or standing in the hidden, dark flanks, sides. The Hebrew term Tzaphon, Tzaphon, hidden, dark, is said to be used only of the north as it refers to a quarter, indicative of a region characterized by its gloomy nature and by its being, relatively, unknown, the expression carries within it, some have suggested, the idea of extreme, or uttermost north. Hence, to find the land of Magog for the mind, wisdom, and economy of Almighty God one must first, placing centrality in Israel, think of and recognize the four directions in terms of quadrants, not simply as straight lines that run north, south, east, or west. This having been done, one can now proceed to locate a northernmost region and, with regard to the view of the four directions as quadrants, or quarters, find that area which would have been largely unknown and unsettled, during the days of the issuance of the prophecy. In looking over any modern world map, one will notice that there is nothing north of Israel that better fits this description than the vast, sparsely settled land of the Russians only a portion of which is directly north of Israel. The vast majority, almost 99 and 44 slash 100 percent, that is, 99 and 44 100 percent, actually, more like 75 percent, is in the northeasternmost quarter, although interestingly the Russian capital, Moscow, home of the Rosh Prince, is in fact due north of the nation of Israel. Hence, then, one cannot but conclude that, where the biblical narrative is concerned, Magog is the nation of modern-day Russia itself. The people of Magog. Who were they, in antiquity? Thus far then, we now know that, Magog finds its roost today in all of the landmass known as, and now occupied by, modern Russia. Likewise, we also know that Russia as it relates to and falls within the grand scheme and plan of God consists of two major parts or, sections separated by the Ural Mountains, one, Western or European Russia and, two, Siberia. That leaves open the question, who were these people during the Bible days of Ezekiel? Who were they prior to his day, during and across the two thousand years following the birth and life of the Christ? What did they ever do to provoke God's ire? The one assurance common to all invaders was such that as assuredly as they had slaughtered their way onto the horizons of history and into the historical narrative of some writing culture, for, being nomads, most came and went with no written language, and thus, no written records of their own, and, as soon as they had settled into some comfort zone, just as assuredly, sooner or later, another would come behind, bent on doing to it, what it had done to others before. So, who were these invaders of Europe's western Russia, and how do they relate to Magog or, today's Russia? What, if anything, do they bring to the bargaining table of God's eschatological plans for Gog? See Appendices B, C, and D for a fuller consideration of the people who settled Russia before, during and after the days of Ezekiel. And, I think that here is a good place to end this edition of the podcast, the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Don't forget to give us a like as we depart, and make plans to tell others about our work, as well as to be with us for all future podcasts. Until we meet again, may the good Lord's hand of blessing be upon you all.